I'm in week three of a series called This Is That, and it comes from Acts chapter 2, 16, where Peter says, what we see happening, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied would happen. And we're in week three, and I've told you that for the next, I don't know, we'll probably still be here in January because I'm not able to hurry through this. And with the holidays coming up, I, I will take a break from this subject. But we're going to cover end times prophecy. We're going to cover cultural events, the news of what's happening today. And everybody listen, at a really, we're going to take a deep dive. And um, this morning, a lot of what I'm saying is stuff that I know a lot of you already agree with. Um, but I'm saying it because for a number of reasons, this stuff needs to be said because a lot of people are afraid to say it. All of us think it, and I know the calculation and the risk even with social media and me saying what I'm going to say today in the next few weeks. But hear me, I'm not preaching into an echo chamber. I'm not here to tell you stuff you already agree with that you're going to love. I'm here to declare the truth of God's word, and there's multiple levels of of things that need to happen as we declare his word. And one is our younger generation needs to hear the truth because we are going against a very strong tide that is seeking to indoctrinate them. And we're seeing among Gen Z that they're already heavily influenced and indoctrinated. But we stand against the, we stand against the tide. And we declare God's word, not with a right wing, I told you so, you need to get your life, to, but I stand with, may, the reason I stand like I'm standing now is I believe when we preach the word of God with the heart of God, we'll have tears in our eyes. I'm not up here to tell the other side, you are wrong, you're going to burn in hell. I'm up here to tell the other side and every side. God said his one and only son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life in Jesus. And there is a better way, amen? And so I'm not here to preach to as in an echo chamber, but we are here to talk about this. Francis um, Schaeffer's, Schaeffer's classic book in 1976, he asked the question from Ezekiel 33, verse 10, how then, and he put a little King James on it, shall we live? Considering all that, how then, how then, how are we supposed to live? In Ezekiel chapter 33, please listen. This is a rather lengthy passage of scripture, but I want it to, again, I want to permeate the atmosphere with God's word and faith mixed. The prophet says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. Can somebody say amen? amen. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to, to warn the wicked man from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But 
His blood I will require at your hand. You're responsible. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But if you have delivered your soul, therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how then can we live? How then can we live? I'm going to skip over I have a rather lengthy intro talking about some incidents in the last 20 years that have come out of Venezuela. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing that, but we have seen um, a beautiful, prosperous, wealthy, resourceful nation in South America with a lot of natural resources, a lot of beauty. Um, in just a matter of a few years, as it gave way to socialism, Marxism, and then communism, we have seen it become a very, very difficult place in which to live. I have a friend whose in-laws are from there, and he and his wife in Florida are sending, and they're probably listening, but they are sending food and, and it's incredible what's happening in Venezuela. And if Venezuela has proven that socialism is a bad idea, why should anyone care? Because socialist visions and policies are invading the United States. That's why we care. We are seeing them discussed under four different names. Socialism, communism, Marxism, and here's the most dangerous, cultural Marxism. A 2020 poll showed that, showed that 40% of, of Americans had a favorable view of socialism. And that was up from 36% just one year earlier in 2019. But listen to this, 47% of millennials and 49% of Gen Z view socialism favorably. One 2019 poll found that 61% of Americans between the age of 18 and 24 have a positive reaction to socialism. And then there's Bernie Sanders, and who almost, who might really have won the 2020 nomination for the Democratic Party as their presidential candidate. And I will say this about Bernie Sanders. Bernie takes a lot of grief and not all of it is earned. The one thing I do like about Bernie is in his, there are a couple things that I agree with him and he's right. The other thing I like about Bernie is he's authentic. He's true to what he believes. And we could use a few more politicians like that. Ocasio-Cortez, we see her with a massive following and an avowed socialist. And um, we will likely see her run for president in the near future, and she will be a formidable foe. Matthew 24, Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, it will be at the day that the Son of Man returns. What were those days like? Listen closely. Jesus said they were eating, drinking, marrying. No one was paying attention to Noah, what he was doing, what he was saying. No one outside of his immediate family until it was too late. The wickedness of Noah's day is much like ours, a day when ideologies like socialism sneak in without very much attention being paid to them until it's too late. And the reason I bring this up and I think it's so critical, is we have to ask ourselves, will this be the dominant philosophy on earth when the tribulation begins? Probably so. It seems likely because it is tailor-made to welcome in the Antichrist. What is socialism? The World Socialist Party of the United States says this, the establishment of a system of society based on the common ownership and democratic control of the means and instruments for producing 
and distributing wealth by and in the interest of society as a whole. We call this common ownership, but other terms we regard as synonymous are communism and socialism. In his book, We Will Not Be Silenced, which is a great book, David Jeremiah says he wished every Christian in America would read this book by Erwin Lutzer. It helps us understand the kind of Marxism we are seeing. It's unique. Lutzer says, today we face what is known as cultural Marxism. It is not being imposed on people on the war battlefields. Instead, it's a form of Marxism that wins the hearts and minds of people incrementally by the gradual transformation of the culture. Bombarded with exaggerated and illusionary promises, people accept it because they want to. They welcome it because of its benefits. It promises hope and change, income equality, racial harmony, and justice based on secular values rather than Judeo-Christian morality. It is known for professing inclusion rather than exclusion and promoting sexual freedom rather than what they view as the restrictive sexual ethics of the Bible. It is not stifled by allegedly narrow religious traditions, but espouses progressive ideas that are deemed worthy of an enlightened future. To understand socialism, though, you've got to understand Karl Marx, the founder of this concept. Marx absolutely hated God. His family thought he was possessed by a demon. His son sent him a letter and addressed it, my dear evil. His partner, Frederick Engels, declared that 10,000 devils had marks by the hair. His poem, The Pale Maiden, where he composed these self-descriptive words, says this, Thus heaven I forfeited. I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. In 1840, one year after publishing his crowning work, The Communist Manifesto, Mark was, Marx was evicted by his landlord who was fed up with his filthiness. Listen. He said, Carl drank too much, smoked too much, never exercised, suffered from warts and boils due to lack of washing. He stunk. As, far as for the family apartment, everything was broken down, busted, spilled, smashed, falling apart from toys and chairs and dishes and cups to tables and on and on. He fathered an illegitimate child by his maid and blamed it on his partner. He never had a job. He mooched off everyone. Marx died in despair on March 14, 1883 and was buried in the Highgate Cemetery in London, considered the, Satan, the, the cemetery or the center of Satanism in London. And I wonder today how many people who champion socialism, Marxism, have any idea of the poisonous roots, the origin of this ideology. He was a hideous person, and what he was, socialism became. The characteristics of Marxism, number one is, it is clearly anti-God. He hated Christianity, saw it as a source of oppression, and religion was the opium of the people, as he called it. For communism to succeed, Loyalty to the church had to be replaced by loyalty to the state. He described the church as medieval mildew, which must be scraped away. And other socialists like Joseph Stalin, Fidel Castro, and others have bought into Marx's communistic thoughts and held him as a hero, as do many young men and women in our own culture. In the Soviet un Union, one of their favorite slogans was, let us drive capitalists from the earth and God from heaven. The second thing is, it's, total, it's totalitarian. Marxism quickly becomes totalitarianism. And this term was first used, listen, by the supporters of Benito Mussolini, the Italian fascist dictator from 1925 to 45. And he summed it up this way. Everything within the state 
nothing outside the state, and nothing against the state. Another great book I've read and have in my office, Rod Dreyer writes in Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. Highly recommend it. He says, a totalitarian state is one that aspires to nothing less than defining and controlling reality. Truth is whatever the rulers decide it is. Today's totalitarianism demands allegiance to a set of progressive beliefs, many of which are incompatible with logic and certainly with Christianity. Compliance is forced less by the state than by elites who form public opinion and by private corporations that, thanks to technology, control our lives far more than we would like to admit. The third thing about Marxism, socialism, is it's, it's divisive. Marxism thrives on division. Historic Marxism division was promoted between the classes of people. And Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan president in the late 90s, made sure that poor people hated the wealthy. Today's cultural Marxism ex exploits the racial tension, sexual and gender-related issues. And this is sad because the progress, we have made some progress in the last 45 years, but it's all been lost in the last few years. And we, are, we were not where we should be, but how many of you, you know, can we just be real and say we're not perfect, but we're way less racially divided and segregated than we were even 50 years ago. Thank God for it. Amen. Um, it's sad. It's sad to see the race card continue play, to be played at the expense of the unity of our nation. And all of us know that, yes, there are still racial issues that need to be dealt with in America and around the world. But the true issues get lost by the professional race baiters and the media that sees racial division and preys on it because they see it as a financial profit. Number four, cultural Marxism is deadly. The Black Book of Communism in 1999 calculated the Marxist-Leninist death toll for the 20th century, and it was the most colossal case of political carnage in history. Latin America, 150,000 deaths. Eastern Europe, 1 million. Vietnam, 1 million. Africa, 1.7. Cambodia, 2 million. North Korea, 2 million. Soviet Socialist Republic, 20 million. China, 65 million. And the death count, listen to me, that has resulted from Marxism between 1917 and 1979 would equate to a rate of multiple thousand deaths per day over the course of a whole century. Even Adolf Hitler got nowhere close to that. In fact, neither did the two deadliest wars in history, World War I and II, which need to be combined and doubled to get near the number of people killed by communism in the 20th century. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was fooled by none of it. And he taught that socialism of any type and shade leads to a total destruction of the human spirit and to a leveling of mankind into death. Now, why do we talk about this? Listen, I'm moving quickly. Because the new political trajectory in our nation is more than just a tr trend. It is a seismic shift toward a Marxist agenda. And I... I I show a couple of these slides with trepidation, but we have to be honest and truthful about where we are. Even the comptroller, if you can pull up that picture, refuses to turn over her Marxism thesis from time at the Moscow State University. In the next slide, this is the ideology that killed over 100 million in the last century is now being praised in our educational system. And here's, why, here's how the other evidence that we're seeing. Look here. Destruction of monuments. This is what it does. We're commonly seeing that happen when protest groups 
see a monument or statue that is offensive in their eyes. Civil War participants, but way more than that. Even George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and some of the others that if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny that they're destroying some of the monuments and statues of people who would support their efforts. And so we see that this destruction is not a random act of violence. It is a concentrated effort to attack and erase the past. Milan Kundera wrote during the rise of communism, some people rewrite or erase the past. In that way, the masses forget who they are and their children can easily be drawn into their selected, programmed future. Says, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, then have someone write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history, and before long the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was, and then they make laws and forbid you to homeschool your own children. However, from the scriptures, we see 164 times in the Old Testament alone, God says, remember. Socialism wants you to forget. Christianity wants you to forget some things and remember some other things. Look at this passage right here. This is where I want us to, this is the word, listen, this is what I want the Holy Spirit. to. We're going to get really real as we already are with what's going on. But let the word of God bring life. Let the word of God bring hope. The prophet said this, Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east. A leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. Listen, listen to me, you stubborn people who are so far from doing right. For I am ready to set things right, not in the distant future, but right now. I am ready to save Jerusalem and show my glory to Israel. Come on, if you're going to praise him, praise him. Hallelujah. He says, not in the distant future, but I'm ready to set things right now. And he says, I'm ready to show, to save Jerusalem. We, the church, we're a picture of the, of, of, of the people of God. I'm not into um, uh, replacement theology, but we, God still says, I'm ready to show, to deliver and bring life to my people. And then to show my glory to Israel. Listen, that's a picture of God saying, if I can do if the church will get on the, pay, on the same page with me, what I will do in the church will reveal my glory to the whole nation. Are y'all out there? I got to keep going. I'd love to preach right there for about five minutes. But I need the energy. I got two services. It's interesting, though. This, I want That verse 13, oh, let that register. Put that on your screensaver, on your refrigerator. For I am ready to set things right. i got to read it one more time. I know i got to move on, but I want to get that one out there real good. God says, I'm ready to set things right. Not in the distant future, but right now. Can somebody say amen? Come on. Now, God, throughout the Old Testament, instructed the fathers of the faith to build altars, monuments, as landmarks for future generations. And I've talked a lot about this in the past. I teach a lot on it about raising children, being a youth pastor, and caring for the next generation. In Joshua, you know the story. And God said, as you cross over, get every family or every tribe, get a rock. And when you get over, I want you to build an altar so that when your children, don't just build an altar, there's a reason behind it. So that when your children see it, they will go, Papa, what's this? And you'll say, you're not going to believe it. But one time we were coming through that river right there. And that th it was at flood stage. And that thing just opened up. And three million. And that would be a, that would be a planned family devotion where... Junior would go, you're right, I don't believe, are you serious? And then he would have to tell that story. And there's things like that. Listen, you've heard me say it many times. God wants to do something in every generation that impacts the next two. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God wants you to be so profoundly touched that your grandchildren are marked by what he does in you because your children are going to tell your, gra- their, your grandchildren how awesome you were in the Lord. Y'all, can somebody just praise the Lord so I can get a, water, a drink of water? Second thing that we're seeing is cancel culture. And I'd love to talk. There's a whole sermon coming up in this series about it. But it's not just that statues are being torn down. Anyone who does not kneel at the altar of prevailing popular ideology will get canceled. They can find something you said or did 48 years ago and use it against you. If you hold beliefs that are not valued or your beliefs challenge the radicals. And you don't believe it, just ask Clint Eastwood. In cultural Marxism, there can be no room for tolerance. Let me just, what Clint Eastwood did, it has almost nothing to do with what he did. It's who he is and what he stands for now. And they're selectively finding ways to cancel who they want to cancel. In cultural Marxism, there can be no room for tolerance or dissenting opinions. And Gabe Lyons did a great talk last spring about we're in a season and era where it's the end of questions. We had one party wanting to find out the origin of the virus and another refuses to let that question be asked or answered. Today we are seeing dissenters getting their businesses, careers, and reputations destroyed. You stand against the progressive culture, you will get stigmatized, canceled, demonized as a racist, sexist, homophobe. The third thing, the reason, the signs that we're seeing is the dismantling of the nuclear family. And this, that, that right there will require a whole separate sermon, but let me mention it. Marxists want to raise your children and determine your income. Families, Christian families who raise their children on Judeo-Christian values breed inequality. Such families have to be dismantled if the Marxist vision of true equality is to be realized. In Marxism, the family is perceived as a unit in which wives are suppressed by their husbands and children suppressed by their parents. And these clusters have to be broken up. Mothers have to leave their homes and join the workforce. Now, I, there, uh, Suzanne Phillips, is Suzanne here? She, okay, she'll be in the next service. She, she's, she's done extensive research and has... What, what's happening, even, listen, megachurches in this city who are training their youth, their adult youth volunteers are saying things like, when you're frustrated with your parents and your parents don't get it, and it's setting up to make, it, it's that subtle that even in the church, We're separating the family, and, and we're, we're, we're raising a generation where we're getting wedged in between them, and, and it, they're going to have it a hard life. Why? Because they're not going to be able to honor their father and mother, and things will not go well with them. The dismantling of the family is one of the most dangerous things that's happening. And why is it dangerous? Because God started with the family. God didn't start with a society. He came to the planet as a person, Jesus. He started with Adam, created Eve, and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. The family is the glue that holds society and the world together. Socialists know that as long as the family remains strong, socialism cannot flourish. So there's an ongoing attempt to subjugate the home to the government. Um, I'm going to move on because we'll come back to that in another week. But God help us, brothers and sisters. God help us to understand the most, listen, the most basic institution in all of culture is the family. It's, it's more important than the religious institution, the educational institution, government institution. 
It's the family. Now, and, and even preaching about family now, it's taboo because so many churches, we have people that are in broken families and it touches a nerve and pastors don't like to touch some nerves. And listen, we can't let our pain and dysfunction cause us to stray away from critical concepts from God's word. The beauty is, he, the Bible says, God even knows that the family will break down. And he says, Psalm says, he sets the lonely in families. Just be glad that you've got a church that so many of you, you you're already... You, the people in your church are more like family than your biological family. And that's God's beautiful way of saying, I'll, I'll give you a mulligan. I'll, we'll do a redo here. And, and, and God can redeem broken families. But we can't stop talking about the importance of families. Can I get a witness? Amen? Now, the destruction of monuments, cancel culture, dismantling the nuclear family, and now the redistribution of wealth. And this would supposedly rid the world of poverty. And it sounds generous and almost Christ-like. But somehow, it has never worked. History re reveals that wherever this principle has been implemented, the poor get poorer. Equality cannot be engineered. History proves that the poor do best in economically free societies and do the worst in societies where they are controlled in one way or another, whether it is it be by socialist, fascist, fascist, or authoritarian regimes. And here's what I've said. I think it was, um, oh, what's the great American writer 100 years ago? Just He's the great American writer 100 years ago. Um, <laughs> One thing we've learned from history, it's going to come to me before I finish this sermon, is that we haven't learned anything from history. And there is so much truth in that statement right there. Because human nature, without God, with, without being redeemed, is evil and wicked. And we live in a fallen world and re, we repeat the same cycles. Next, and lastly, we see the defunding of the police. And I just got to say, and I'm going to get real right here. This is the stupidest, most idiotic thing. that. And I'm going to just say it. I don't care who hears me. It's the dumbest. At some point, hold on a second. At some point, we've got to just go, we just got to call foul somewhere, you know. Like, I was reading, listening. Five years ago, gender confusion was listed as a mental illness. And now... I have the mental illness if I don't bless it. Come on, somebody, wake up! Here, this right here, defunding the police? Where has common sense gone? Help us, Jesus. Socialists villainize the police, defund them, and then policemen have low morale, retire early. And then the recruiting of new police officers becomes almost impossible. And that's their plan. The reason for vilifying local authorities, no matter what they say, they are trying to get the local government to fail so that they can federalize our cities and states, giving Washington absolute control. And this is another one of the, you go, Pastor Chuck, I thought we were talking about end times theology. We are. Here's the second point that I, I want to bring up is, do you remember years ago, did you ever think that lawlessness would be a part of our culture? I can remember years ago, I've traveled internationally, and I remember being in the Dominican Republic for two weeks. And it's the Dominican, you know, it's not like, you know, I mean, it's the Dominican. It's not like the worst place. People vacation in the Dominican. But when, when we landed there, they saw us and our musical equipment, and they wanted $3,800 import tax for us to be able to use our equipment. It wasn't even worth $3,800. And just navigating two weeks of like trying to do ministry, I can, I'll never forget landing back in Miami going, oh, I love you, Miami. And, and going in the airport and getting um, a Burger King, what do they call them? Whopper. I was like, yes. You know, 
it's bad when you're in Miami going, oh, I love you, Whopper, you know. But it was, my whole deal was, it was so good to just be back in a nation with a government and laws that you can trust. And now look at us. And I know the rest of the world deals with lawlessness and corruption at a level we're just starting to understand. But here we are, defund the police. When Jesus said, describing the day he would return, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Everybody listen. The, the impact of lawlessness, the impact of a lack of order, the impact of so much lying and deceit and manipulation, it will make many people lose the ability to be loving. Is that describing the day in which even Christians, it gets so hard, it's so distracting, you want to defend, stand up, and, and you, you, want, you want to help people understand common sense and life and Jesus and truth. But lawlessness causes the love of most, one translation say, causes their love to grow cold. And this is another reason why it's time for us to stand up. Now, coming to the solution. How then, Pastor Chuck, are we to live? What are we to do? Moving out of the echo chamber and saying things that all of us agree with pretty much. First, we have to review what the Bible says. Pastor Chuck, here you go again. The Bible. The Bible. I'm so tired of you talking about the Bible. Why don't you quit preaching about the Bible? You know. Because the Bible helps us to realize how stupid what we're doing is. We review what the Bible says so we can grasp what the Lord has to say about these issues related to cultural Marxism. Number one, Scripture affirms the dignity of work. God made us that way. Secondly, he says those who don't work don't, should not get to eat. And I know there are exceptions. And this isn't Old Testament. This isn't the Mosaic Code. This is the New Testament. You know, people go, do you believe in corporal punishment? At the Ramsey house, yes, I do. We've raised five boys. And they go, you really spank your children? I'm like, no. I've only spanked two of them. But it works so well, I didn't have to spank the other five. <laughs> it's the truth. I'm like, everybody watch this. Brandon, bend over. Everybody watch. Candace, film this. You know? The, the truth is, we don't have to spank. We didn't have to spank because our children knew we would. And before you get all high and mighty on me, the Bible says, don't spare the rod or you'll spoil your child. And you'll have a hell of a time raising a child that's spoiled like that. Pun intended. Where was I? I just got... Those who refuse to work should not eat. Secondly, saving money. Everybody read a proverb a day. Read a proverb a day. Uh, it talks about being thrifty. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend everything they get, Proverbs 21.20 says. Land ownership. God is into people having deeds and titles and there being boundaries. It's all through the scripture. And then lastly, Jesus talks about, you know, investment. It's wise. And so, brothers and sisters, socialism contradicts all of these core values of society and culture that we find in the Bible. And you may go, well, Pastor Chuck, what about Acts chapter 2? Let's talk about Acts chapter 2. Right after the Holy Spirit was poured out, verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For one, we should stop right there. It's talking about all the believers who were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing in meals, and to prayer. I mean, you know, verse 42, that's a mouthful. That's like, how would you like for that to describe Restoration Church? Come on. 
all the wholeheartedly in prayer, eating together. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. We've talked about that a lot. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders because of verse 42. Verse 45, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Let's talk about that. This is a story of personal sharing, not public socialism. In their Pentecostal enthusiasm, the early Christians wanted, wanted to help the poor. They wanted to share with one another. No one asked them to do it. No one applied any pressure or forced them to do it. It was a gospel, spirit-filled community. This was friends sharing with friends, not the government seizing assets from one person, keeping some for itself, and redistributing the rest. Generosity sharing was common for the early church. Brothers and sisters, we may find ourselves in a similar situation. I've already checked into, not kidding, about getting chicken houses out on our five acres out in, on Jeff Wheeler Road. If we get chickens and all hell breaks loose, we're going to have us a ministry at the Ramsey household. <laughs> but in all seriousness, this is a story about generous hearts, not governmental control. So secondly, we, we review what the Word says. Secondly, please hear me, we refuse to live by lies. We must remain true to the truth. After his expulsion from Russia, Alexander Solzhenitsyn published his final message to the Russian people entitled, Live Not by Lies. He said, this is profound and deep, so I'm going to read it slow. He says, let us admit it. We have not matured enough to march into the squares and shout the truth out loud or to express aloud what we think, but it is not necessary. It's dangerous. But let us refuse to say what we do not think. Our path is not that of giving conscious support to lies about anything at all. And once we realize where the perimeters of falsehood are, our path is to walk away from this gangrenous boundary. If we, listen, I love this, if we did not pace together the dead bones and scales of ideology for them, if we did not sew together rotting rags for them by agreeing with the lies, we would be astonished how quickly the lies would be rendered helpless and would subside. What's he saying? If some people will start standing up, this thing will get exposed. But it's when the water gets heated up slowly and everybody gets caught in the boiling water. In the name of Jesus, may there be a Holy Spirit book of Daniel Babylonian faith released to where people start standing up and saying I'm, I can't call you that I can't say that because I don't agree with that I know it's rainbow week and if I don't support and I if some people will start standing up we might see the hand of God reveal the supernatural truth of scripture I'm going to pause right there Next, we've got to resolve to follow Christ and not just admire him. Let me just quickly say, I'm moving on. To persevere in an increasingly socialist culture, you're going to have to decide to be a Christ follower, not merely a Christ admirer, not following wholeheartedly is going to cost people. This is what Peter says, when Jesus went to the trial, the night he was, Peter started following from a distance. Don't follow from a distance. And then lastly, we've got to rethink people groups or small groups. Can I get a witness from somebody on the front row named Mark Joseph? Seriously though, we've just learned going through COVID how vital it is for people to be connected. My heart breaks right here, and I could talk to you for a little while about Christians right now who are isolated, and they're in new habits, 
and they're having a hard time getting back in the gym, if you will. Acts 2, 46 and 7, right after the passage I just read earlier, says, so continuing, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with what? Gladness. Come on, say that again. Gladness. Do you know everything that's going on around them? It's much similar to what we're dealing with. But when they gathered and ate, they were glad, and they had simplicity of heart. How many of you know COVID, pandemics, craziness is helping us to get down to the brass tacks of what really matters, and, we're, and thank God for simplicity of heart. Can I get a witness? It's, it's, there's a freedom that comes in just getting real. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily. Hear me, people groups, small groups are not retreats from the rest of the world. They are gatherings that help us care for one another. They help us study scripture and cope with the craziness and encourage one another. And when we do it right, the Lord adds daily to the church. Y'all out there, y'all picking up what I'm putting down. Everybody listening to me. I, do you, when we do church right, Acts 2, Holy Spirit falls. They were all committed. They were in the same place. One place, one accord. Like-minded people, glad, sincere, sharing, generous. And people started knocking on the door. How can I join your club? How can I get in? The hunger in our culture right now has not been like it in, in our lifetime like it is right now. May God give us by the thousands. If not in this church, the other churches nearby. How many of you, in Jesus' name, would it excite you if we saw 18,000 people get saved per week in North Atlanta? In, there's 3 million people that live within 25 minutes of this place. Whew. Closing. Everybody look here. Personally, from me to you, I'm talking um, give me wisdom, Lord. In our own denomination, there is a massive battle with progressive Christianity and ideas in a southern Spirit-filled movement like ours. Never thought I'd see the day and what we're seeing. Lack of courage to confront and to lead is bringing on compromise at a pace that just is breakneck speed. We're challenging some of our institutions going, what you're teaching and espousing is opening up the door for you can't do this. And you guys in academia, you need to get out in the streets and see what's happening and how that kind of stuff is impacting our culture. And churches, we're all having to decide, are we going to preach sermons like this or are we just going to hope it goes away? And I was with one of our denominational leaders on the phone on Thursday at lunch and he said, I told my wife, I don't know if we're to put Ichabod on it yet, but we need to get our house in order, our spiritual affairs, our financial affairs. And I would say to you, and as a church here, we are getting our house in order. The second thing I would have you to do is realize, and this is exciting, that we are in a this kind of situation. Remember, this that's happening is that which the prophet prophesied would happen. This is that. In Mark chapter 9, there was a man who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples. And... The Bible said that the father explained, this was a desperate situation, that the son was so convulsed at times, the spirit would 
slam him, throw him down to the ground. And, he t- and the disciples prayed for him and nothing happened. And then the man was smart enough to go, I need to get him to Jesus. And he got him to Jesus. Jesus prayed the prayer. And it's really a funny and beautiful story. And it, it was one of the times Jesus goes, how long am I going to have to be with y'all? Right before he delivers him. How long are you ever going to get it? And then Jesus prays and he's delivered. And the man leaves and they celebrate. And then the disciples get alone with Jesus and they go, how did you do that? How did you do that? We did everything you told us to do. And Jesus said, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. This kind. Brothers and sisters, we're not in a that kind of situation in our world. We're in a this kind. But don't be fearful because this kind comes out too. Oh, woo! This kind comes out. How? It's easy. Prayer and fasting. I can do that. How many of y'all can do that? Some of y'all are going, well, I can do the prayer part, but somebody else is going to be on the fasting ministry. I double dog, triple dog dairy. Last Tuesday was our biggest crowd we've ever had in prayer. And you go, but Pastor Chuck, last week we had church on Tuesday, Wednesday, and the ladies had it on Thursday. Tuesday isn't church. It's just an hour. It doesn't even count. It's just, it's on your way home. Just stop and you get some food, spiritual food. If we could get churches, and I'm not responsible for all the churches, if we could get this church filled on Tuesday and you go fast, and y'all know, I'll I'll work with you. I fast from Monday night dinner until after prayer on Tuesdays. Get a little smoothie or something in the mornings, drink some juice through the day. You know, you don't have to be John the Baptist or anything, but but do give up, don't give up coffee, but give up your creamer or something. Some of y'all give up coffee. I don't know if I want to be in, <laughs> Wendy to be praying for you. But give up social, give up Facebook, Instagram. Give up the screen for a day. Lay your phone down and go, whatever you, make it personal between you and the Lord. And brothers and sisters, my heart is not burdened because I think God is tired and weary. My heart is burdened because I think the church is tired and weary. And I think Isaiah 49, God says this, I'm ready to set things right. Not in the distant future, but right now. I'm ready to save y'all and show my glory to everybody. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Y'all got a quit. It's time to quit. Pastor Chuck, look on your face. I, I beg you, come pray with us on Tuesdays. You don't even have to pray out loud. You just sit there. You will... You'll get personal revival listening to other people pray. If you've never been a prayer, come on, please. This is the remedy for our season. A praying church, hell can't contend with. Cannot. And the Lord will start adding daily to the church, those who are being saved. And and I just speak over you right now. All the heaviness of everything I shared. I'm not going to ignore this stuff. I had a I thought on my way to church. Hear me. I coached 23 football teams. And one time I had a, and I was known for having tough practices. And I had a player tell me one time, say, Coach, I figured you out. You make practices hard so games are fun. I've never forgotten. I thought that you are a smart. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, my friend. But my Father in heaven has revealed it. We make this real. And you got to chew it a little while. You don't, you just, it's not a milkshake. You just go. You got to chew it and digest it. And we make this time hard so that the end times are going to be glorious. Are y'all out there? Come on. Because he's a way maker. He can do it. Come on, if we're going to praise him, let's lift up a shout. Let's close with this song. Lead us, Dean.
This morning, I just, I ask, Lord, that you would release your anointing. Give us more oil than we think we need. We seek you, Lord. Matthew 25, may we be like the the five virgins who had more than they thought they needed. When, When they had to wait, they still had anointing, Holy Spirit power. And I just, over every home, I pray this often, brothers and sisters, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5, God said through Isaiah, my desire is to establish my glory over every dwelling where my children, my people live. God's saying, I don't want to visit where you live, your residence. I want to abide there with you, my glory And so over these men and women, their houses, their children, every bedroom, living room, kitchen, dining room, cul-de-sacs, garage, we pray, Lord, for your glory to reside there, Lord. For your presence to be rich and real and sweet and overwhelming. And I just release, Lord, according to your word, just Holy Spirit, new wine for this new season in the name of new understanding, new mindsets. Just thank you, Lord. Just thank you that you are ready, not in the distant future, but right now to show your glory in this nation. May we be a church crazy enough, faithful enough to take you at your word, to pray fast, seek your face, and watch you send revival. You just receive it. Come on, say, I I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, may lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. Come on, say it. I receive it. You got it. Have a great afternoon. I love you.